Yes, hello folks, welcome to Weekly Matches. Now the chairman host is always Phil Brand. Join a regular co-host here, Carl McQuiggan, on this lovely Tuesday morning. How you doing, mate? All good, mate. Tuesday evening here. I can hear Tuesday. myself back on again. Can you still hear yourself back on here? Let me take you yeah, off my yeah. audio settings there. So, uh, some technical difficulties on the way in here. Uh, <clears throat> okay, I should be better now. Um, so, uh, of course, let's talk about uh, the fantastic weekend that United have just had. Brilliant result against Manchester City, of course. Uh, some of the breaking news we're coming on this podcast, we'll talk about it, of course, is Jim Ratcliffe. Uh, I haven't had time to really look at the articles, but um, I will get a chance to do that. Um, obviously, I'm familiar with some of the process. We'll talk a little bit about that. Some of Ten Hag's decisions and the absolute historical reaction uh, to Manchester United's goal that would appear for the first time in football history that this type of goal has been scored but it hasn't, it's been it's been done so many times but uh, I think Scotland Yard's about to get involved is to try to make this offside they've been trying to make this offside for a couple of days um, what do you take, what do you make about the City game this weekend? don't even know where to start to be honest I mean like United, United teams have passed whenever you go 1-0 down like that, it's a sucker punch everyone feels f- sorry for themselves there's finger pointing as to whose fault it was. There was none of that. If anything, it revitalised us as a team and we pushed on. And that's the difference between the Ten Hag era and anything else that we've seen before is the togetherness of the squad. Like, I just can't reiterate enough how good it is to watch Manchester United again. And that's reflected in the performance that we've seen on the pitch and, and the fans and everything that went with it because that was unbelievable on Saturday. Like, to get that result... Obviously, going into the game, I was very confident, to be honest with you. And it's the first time I've been confident in a derby game in a long time. I couldn't tell you the last time I genuinely thought United were going to win. But then when you go 1-0 down and you kind of think to yourself, oh no, here we go again. City are going to get another one on the break. It's going to end up 2 or 3-0 here. It was just completely different. And it was so good to see. What a win. There was so much to be happy about it. Again, coming from behind, 1-0 down, United didn't fold. Um, they reduced City to one shot on target the entire game. The, co- the contrast call would be greater. Um, the talk, of course, before the game was what Holland would do. Uh, Holland was invisible, and that's the best way to take Holland out of a game is just to choke a supply. Uh, I think the way United have beat City in the past, um, this win was very different because this win was really the result of all the things that you want to see that are sustainable for a football team going forward to, res- to sustain form. You know, the teamwork attributes, uh, you see the commitment of the players. It's not, uh, we talked about this before, a team that vibes. It's a team that, um, you know, gets, you, you play a, a decent 15 minutes and you win a game. I mean, United were better first half, second half, City came into the game. But United didn't panic. Even at 1-0 down, didn't panic. And, look, let's talk about the Rashford goal. Because talking about what should be and what is uh, are two very different things. And... Anyone that's been watching football for the last 12 months or so will know, and I've said this myself, I don't know what I'm watching. I, 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 I mean, the, the problem is they nuance these rules so much that as a consequence, you don't get consistency. So there's nothing black and white. It's down the interpretation. We saw the absolutely ridiculous situation with Wolves right, at Liverpool where Liverpool not just scored an identical goal pretty much to what United scored, which was barely mentioned, um, and then had one disallowed, one disallowed, Wolves had one disallowed that was onside, 
um, a far greater controversy than anything you've seen at Old Trafford. I watched City and Villa last season. And it was immediately what sprung, sprung to mind, actually. Uh, and I think it was Rodri. Was massively offside. Ball knocked over the top. Player Rodri steps out of the way. Uh, Arguably was he interfering with play. You know, this is the classic interpretation. Was he or wasn't he? They got a penalty at Everton that the referees had to apologise to the referees over. United had a penalty given against them against Chelsea for holding in the box. And we were told, this is the new normal. But I haven't seen another one given. And it doesn't get mentioned. Um, the inevitable consequence, of course, of this will be United on that get a a 50-50 or even a 60-40 decision for months because the, the, the fear in a, in, a, in, a, in a referee's eyes will be in, a, in his heart. Do I want to have my integrity questioned? Do I want to face forensic analysis and threats and everything else for this with the media, right? Who really should know better uh, and, and really need to catch themselves on because this absolutely insane level of coverage it makes them look a bit ridiculous. Is it, do you not have legitimate journalism to do? See, see, to be honest, though, I know where you're coming from, right? But the long and short of it is, is that the goal stood because in this day and age and how the rules are set up, that is a goal. I know. Whether you like it or not, that's Correct. that's your own opinion. And if that goal was given against us, of course I would be fuming. You'd be absolutely raging. But that that's neither here nor there because it's a goal, it's stood, and that's the end of it. The, the media thing is, again, and we touched on this at the start of the season, With there's a media frenzy around United no matter what. Whenever things are going well, there's a media frenzy. When things are going bad, there's a media frenzy. That's part and parcel of being at United. So we're just going to have to get used to it. I don't really buy into it. I don't pay much attention to it either, to be honest. I think in terms of the goal itself, absolutely, if that goal was given against this, me and you'd be on here right now and would, you'd be turned down my throat or I'd be turned down your throat about how much of a disgrace that goal is. And I think that's we need to be honest about that because we would be. Yeah, but here's the thing, Calm, the target of my ire would not be the team that scored it. It would be the people that made the roots. You know what I mean? You'd be, I mean what the, the fact that these rules exist isn't United's fault. right? The fact that the goal is within the laws of the game isn't United's fault. It's not evidence of bias. It's not, you know, and it seems to me that to summarize a lot of the objections is it's not fair, it's Man United got to go. I mean, that, that's pretty much what I'm taking from it, right? There's no equivalency when this happens to other top teams, not. I mean, I can sit here and think off the top of my head of some unbelievable decisions that went in Liverpool's favour at Anfield that have been pivotal, that... Um, <clears throat> Barely got a mansion. I mean, I've just I, I, I've just mentioned one at Wolves. They should be out of the FA Cup. Their realistically last uh, uh, chance of a trophy. And United were knocked out of the FA Cup last season on an absolutely scandalous decision. Most people aren't aware of it. Because the decisions that go against United, this is, of course, Koski's confirmation bias. Uh, Burley gets a mansion. The decisions that go for them, even within the laws of the game, are personal lens of this is biased towards Man United. And honestly, I expect that from 13, 14 year olds. But I've got to be honest though. Major like, journalists do this. In, in terms of what you're saying, I get it. But at the end of the day, things are so good at Manchester United, we can't labour on the points. If, if we're sitting in a Liverpool's position, yes, absolutely, I'd be labouring on these points and I'd be saying, oh, this is a disgrace, Liverpool. It doesn't matter anymore. 
but it's things have changed. It's not without consequence, <clears throat> because what this is going to do is this will make sure that every 50-50 decision, this isn't about what happened at City anymore, this is about what's happening going forward. This is about making sure that in any, like, I mean, I guarantee you this, if there's a 50-50 decision at the Emirates, United don't get it. I guarantee Anthony Taylor sits there and goes, hmm, at home, do I really want to give this? Do I really want to be accused of favouritism? Do I really want to have my, my, my integrity attacked? Do I, you know what? No. They're human beings. And when Klopp came out and said, United get all these decisions, and specifically targeted Solskjaer, and I really wish Solskjaer had responded properly, he waited a couple of months to say, ever since someone came out and talked about VAR, we haven't got a single decision. So this is not without consequence. I, I understand what you're saying and I get I get the consequence point, but for me, it's not something that I'm worried about. I mean, it's funny, don't get me wrong, it's funny that it's still in the media, however many days it is now after, since Saturday, people are still talking about it, but that just shows how far we've came. Last season, it wouldn't even have been spoke about. It's being spoke about now because people genuinely see us as a title contender. That's the thing. I, I, I have no problem saying that, and I joked on this probably like 68 weeks ago saying that we could be in for a title run. You you laughed at me and said, right, let's not get ahead of ourselves, which I think was a fair point at the time. But absolutely, we're a title contender. If we, think, can, if we yeah. can pick up three points against Palace, and if, if I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but if we get another three points at Arsenal or a draw, we're definitely in there. Well, here's the thing. If you'd have said to me at the start of the season, what's the odds on Arsenal being ready for a title challenge? I would have said pretty much zero. So... Um, prior to the start of the season before the Brantford and Brighton debacle happened I would have said United and Arsenal were in a similar situation in terms of being ready for the league title I wouldn't have thought it was fair to expect that of Ten Hag uh, because I think that we have to be realistic and grounded and expectations have to be managed but the fact of the matter is this when I look at the threats to that league title City are, are nowhere near the team they were Right, they're very, very beatable. Uh, I mean, that's the second game in a row they've lost. They lost to Southampton, lost to United. Uh, they have Arsenal next, I think. Um, be really interesting yeah. to see how they respond because City are being asked questions that they haven't been asked really uh, in a long, long time, possibly since Liverpool won the league. And even then, they ran Liverpool really, really close. Um, this is probably the weakest City I've seen and you wonder where they would, you know, since Guardiola's been there, and you wonder where would they be without Holland's goals. Um, so it's going to be really interesting. There's a massive, you know, City will still see themselves as in this league title. And people talk about how important United's two games are with against City and, and, and Arsenal, but this is also two massive games for Arsenal. And when you look at that Arsenal team, you go, the, the second half of the season is very different <coughs> from the first. The first half of the season, you can give momentum, you know, the, the consequences of defeat, and not the same. Then the pressure comes, and then the experience <clears throat> really matters. I mean, I remember Newcastle being 11 points clear of United in January, and um, once the pressure was on, you know, one defeat can turn into two very quickly, as City have found out. And if you have someone relentlessly pursuing you, which I'm not sure you need to have that consistency or are capable of doing that, but if, they're, if, if, if they were to do that, Arsenal will drop nine points between now and the end of the season. I'm certain of it. 
right? And if they don't, they throw the show to win that league. But I think they will. Uh, and I think that uh, I think it's a lot for United to catch someone like Arsenal. Uh, but if they win at the Emirates, especially if, if Arsenal lose to City, make no mistake about it, that league title's wide open. I think uh, people might say I'm wrong for this, but I think, in my opinion, tomorrow night's game is more important than Arsenal because if we drop points against Palace, the win against Arsenal, if you get a win against Arsenal, means nothing. It's all about tomorrow night. And in my opinion, tomorrow night's more important because we need to go out. This is a game probably in previous years we throw away against Palace away. Let's go get three points tomorrow night and then focus on Sunday. And if you can get a draw or a win on Sunday, then great. That's a bonus. But let's let's focus on tomorrow night because I see a lot of people saying, rest Casemiro because he's one yellow away and he'll miss the Arsenal game. But what's the point in resting Casemiro tomorrow night? And we say, say for example, we throw the game tomorrow night but don't get three points and you play them on Sunday. What, what's the difference? Yeah, I can see both sides of this. I can see that argument. I can see people, you know, the argument of... Uh, you know, don't be. You know, if you take your eye off the the the, the hurdle that's in front of you, you trip. You know, uh, and it's important that you play your strongest team. I think when you look at, I don't think Ten Hag will pick a team against Crystal Palace. What what that that um, that would be based on what would be best against Arsenal, and and I go back to this charting game, and it was something that we said last week. The contrast for United when. Ericsson and Casemiro aren't on the pitch is massive. And United really struggled against the Charlton. I would be really concerned of United midfield of Bruno, Scott McTominay and Fred against another Premier League team. I, I just don't think you have the depth yet to rotate like that. And this is something that's going to have to be addressed with Donny van der Beek. Because Donny van der Beek, as I said last week, is occupying a position that is really, really important. Um, United need a young, creative midfielder in there that if they want to rest Casemiro and Eriksen, they can do so. Um, or bring them off in games, they can do so without having to completely change tactically. Um, so uh, And lose that creativity. So I think um, for United, uh, they, they agree that this three points, you know, I think that the three points against Arsenal would be bigger in terms of the psychological impact to Arsenal, right? And what that would do if they lost the United and City. Because that would put serious doubt in their minds. You know, the United have done the double over them. You know, City have beaten them. Because uh, I think they're still trying to convince themselves are they good enough to win this league? And they're getting those answers every week. I mean, to be fair to them, they've been exceptional. But I, uh, I, I do agree that they have to pick the strongest team against Palace. To be honest... You know, you said something there about McTominay, Bruno and Fred, and I agree with you on that. But can we just take a minute and appreciate what Fred done at the weekend? For me, player of the game, man of the match, was unbelievable in every aspect of the game. And he, he gets criticism constantly, and I don't see enough people giving them the plaudits whenever they're due. And Fred, for me, at the weekend, was the best player on the pitch. And he's worked his way into that team, and it's up to Ten Hag to keep him in there. And again, there's going to be games for Fred, and it's, it's going back to that... Ferguson era whenever there was players lined up for games down the line and that, that's something that, that has to be seen with Fred. I'd like to see Weghorst play tomorrow. I don't think Marshall was up to much at the weekend. He pressed well but he didn't do much other than that. He seemed lazy at points. Obviously he was taken off but I think Weghorst against Palace could be the, the link up that we need against a team like Palace. So 
Again, that's something I'd like to see. And if if it is that the Casemiro's rested, then albeit, but I don't think we can take those risks. Well, I think uh, Big Vic Horse gives you now something completely different um, than the, what they have, and that gives that tactical diversity. You know, they brought McCamney on at times and throw McCamney up front uh, because of his size. Uh, something that Vic Horse will give them. Uh, and I don't don't agree. You know, with looking at his goal stats at Burnley. And saying that's indicative of what to expect at United. You know, Alan Shearer scored was it twenty eight goals in one hundred and twenty three games for Southampton before he went to the Blackburn. Wasn't exactly prolific, right, by anyone's standards. But you have to take into consideration that there's the, there's no equivalency between United and Burnley. You know, you United are spending seventy percent of of most games attacking. Uh, they now have a set piece coach that is no longer a laughing stock that actually you can see um the the the, the work on the training ground being executed properly on the on the field i think Veghorst gives you needed options in defense even you know from set pieces uh and and i really think big six foot six lad playing for united up front um i have a feeling Veghorst will score more goals this second half of the season than nunez I, I don't know because again I th- I think Nunez will come good and I've said that so I'm not going to go against it I do think Weghorst will do good I think we could see that being turned into a permanent deal very quickly towards the end of the season if he does work out I mean I don't think he's the answer for a new striker I still think regardless in the summer we need to go for a top class striker however Weghorst is something different coming off the bench that we need and especially coming into the business end of the season with all the games coming up and, and the different stages we'll be at in certain games he's someone we need but it's interesting that people got on the back of that deal for Weghorst and everyone's going on against about how he didn't perform at Burnley but I trust Ten Hag Ten Hag's proved us wrong before with some of the decisions he's made I've kind of turned my my nose up at a few things he's done, but I've, I've been proved wrong. So let's see how it works out. Ten Hag clearly knows best. Ten Hag knows the player. And I think he'll do a good job. Even if Verkhorst did sign at the end of the season, um, I agree with you in the sense that it was, he would still be in the same situation at the end of the season that he's in now, that he's a backup striker. right? The striker that you need to ban this summer is more of a threat to Martial to me than he is to Verkhorst because Martial's supposed to be the starting number nine. And we'll find out over the next few months whether he's capable of being that. Um, Ten Hag was very um, specific about the fact that he can't manage the physical load. That's a major concern to me. That a player who didn't go to the World Cup, a player who's halfway through a season, who should be in his physical prime, who's injured a lot, who can't manage 90 minutes of football in, in a 20, what is he, 27? Um, when can we expect that he can do the bare minimum? You know, the talent that Martial can show, he's never been consistent. We know he has unbelievable ability. But consistency is what separates championship footballers from Premier League footballers. You know, you go down the leagues, I'm not saying Martial's a championship footballer, but consistency is a really, really important aspect of being a top footballer, Uh, especially when you play for top clubs. You know, there's clubs all over the but you you know the, the spectrum littered with exceptionally talented players. I remember Lee Trundle, you know, just the attackers every week. You know, skillful beyond belief. You know, score goals for all of it, but but couldn't be consistent at the highest level because that requires. And maybe Luke Martial has been unlucky physically, possibly, but being consistent at the highest level requires, especially with a period of time, 
um, unbelievable discipline in your life. So to me, that's the question that you need to really have to. That's the thing that you need to really have to address this summer. Is you know a, an alternative, a striker that can start almost every week, and they haven't had that in so long. I mean, they haven't had that with Ronaldo. They haven't had that with Cavani. And they, 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 they haven't had that with with a striker for so long that you can rely on every single week. And thankfully, Marcus Rashford is tipping in with a lot of goals right now in the best form of his career. I think I think with Rashford though, he's someone that came under so much criticism. Um, I mean, people were jumping on us back in the summer saying, like, this is a make-or-break season for Riceford. I think we actually referred to it on here as, like, where does Riceford go next year if he doesn't perform this season? And he shut up all the critics. I mean, it's time to time down and do a long-term contract. I think he, sh- he shows so much in his game under Ten Hag now that there's there's different elements to Riceford. And what's frightening to think about is when whenever Sancho is fit, and Sancho comes back and he's in the right headspace and he is playing. There's a player there as well. I mean, look, I've been very critical of Anthony on this podcast and probably wrongly so at some point. And you kind of went against what I was saying at the beginning. It's kind of proved that I was right at the time. I, I do think he's still going to need time, I think, to be honest, whenever he comes back into it. But we have really good forward players at this club now, something mm. that we've struggled to have. I mean, Garnacho coming through, I tweeted the other day, I would be playing Garnacho ahead of Anthony at the minute. For me, anyways, I think he's a different type of winger. He shows something different, and he's exactly what we need. He gets fans excited. He gets bums off seats, and that that's something at Manchester United throughout the years we've always had. So I'd like to see Garnacho get a bit more game time compared to Anthony because at the minute Anthony isn't really doing much. Well, well, well Garnacho. One of the great things that I like about him is he changes games as soon as he comes on, <clears throat> and so he has an impact. You're not sitting there going, "Oh shit." Garnacho come on ten minutes ago, right? He immediately changes games, but he's coming on in games where um, United are playing a certain way that's suited to the way he plays. So Anthony, I you know I, I by no means a finished article. Um, I trust that Ten Hag knows enough about his abilities to, to where he will be an important player if United. Um, you know. If he ends up the season, let's say on a race he scores another five goals, right? Ends up with a ten goal season. I think that's decent in his first season. When you consider other wingers, I mean, you consider, you know, what Arsenal paid for Nicolas Pepe. You know what happened there. Mm. You know, you, you there, there's lots of situations. You know, Grealish, Sancho, what have you, um, that where players just haven't lived up to these exceptionally high price tags. I mean, you've got Joao Felix at at at, at Chelsea. Um, so I think he has to be given more time. People need to also remember that prior to the World Cup, he hadn't played for a month. He didn't really play much at the World Cup bit part. So I'm questioning whether he's 100% fit. So he's a player that due to the workload being a bit late in the first half of the season, could very easily have a strong second half of the season. But do do you not find with Anthony, maybe it's just me because I'm very critical of him and again mm. I could be wrong in what I'm saying, but every time we're in possession and we break with Anthony, he slows it down, right? He's so one-dimensional one dimensional and one-footed that it breaks down the attack every single time, whereas someone like Garnacho gets the full-back turned. That's the difference. Everyone knows what Anthony's going to do. Well, here's, here's what I would say to that. Um, up until a year ago, Maybe not even a year ago, six months ago, I was really, really worried about Rashford's finishing and decision making in the final third. Right? I mean, he was snatching the chances, blasting shots they should have been placing, and his decision making was notoriously poor. 
right? He would pick the wrong pass. He'd shoot when he should pass. Um, and it was really frustrating because it felt like he wasn't developing that part of his game. Um, and so here he's in the prime of his career and he's not making those mistakes anymore. Anthony still has to develop. He, uh, there's certainly parts of his game that concern me. Uh, the fact that he is so one-footed um, won't even swing his right foot. You know, one of the things that where I saw this was against Chelsea when United had a breakaway and he should have scored. And the ball came, came across him on the right-hand side. He refused to hit it on his right foot. Um, and, and I've seen this happen a couple of times where I'm like, he's so predominantly left-footed that a good defender finds that really easy to work out after a while. So it's going to be really important for Anthony to develop other aspects of his game so that he's not too predictable. And I would agree that um, he isn't, you know, the, the, there's certain parts of him that frustrate me when United attack. Um, but when you pay so much for yeah. a winger who, one, Ten Hag already knew his capabilities, Ten Hag knew what he brought to the side, Ten Hag knew he was one-footed, one-dimensional, and it's easy to get away with that in the Dutch league because the players that you're playing against aren't at the level in the Premier League. Surely that has to be taken into account. So... Well, again, I, lots I'm of just, players are one footed. I mean, I mean Ryan Giggs was one footed. You know, lots <laughs> of players are one. Ryan Giggs was all left foot. So I don't, <clears> I don't have a concern that he's so predominantly left footed. I have concerns about what he does with his left foot. So you know, when when he is on his, I mean, he's missed some really good chances uh, that have fallen to him kindly on his left foot. Uh, he's you know, but but again, you know. You, you brought up a point here about him coming from the Dutch League to the Premier League. You know, not everybody sells right away. It, it, it depends on the season. And so he has to be given time to develop and grow into it. Um, what I would say is that this is, you know, this is a, a great United team to play in if you're an attacking player. Because Ten Hag will set this team up to play to your strengths. So I think, um, you know, we, we were talking about Garnacho, you know, Maybe when Sancho comes back and that pressure is put on him where you don't start every week because there's other players desperate to take your place. We see a, 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 a an improving Anthony, but he has to be given time to improve. And look, I don't think he's been terrible. I mean, he's scored five goals this season. Uh, I would have taken that return uh, when, he, when he signed. And, you know, he still does a lot of things well. What, what about the takeover news? And I know we haven't really... You know, looked at it in terms of haven't really got got reading the article in full, but you kind of were onto this a couple of weeks ago. Whenever we spoke, well, longer than a couple of weeks ago now, do you think that there's legitimate interest, and do you think it's something that could happen? With, with what side did take over? With I missed the first part, man. With Jim Ratcliffe, do you think there's a legitimate interest there, and do you think it could happen? Of course, there's definitely legitimate interest in there. Um, look, here, here's the thing: <laughs> if you're Go on to Davos, and you're putting a booth there uh, to attract buyers. That would concern me, because we were told that when United were put on the market, there'd be a deluge of offers. What billionaire doesn't know United are for sale? You know who's going to walk by there that has a legitimate interest in football and go, "Oh, man, United are for sale. Let's buy it." You know, it's not like the mall. You know, you go back, nice pair of jeans, or stick and washing machines in a bag, and you know, thirty quid. You know, you know, this is 
a multi-billion pound investment. This is strategic. You know, and the Rain Group, you know, they're saying there's a there's a deadline for mid-February for bids. Are you telling me that if the day after they put that bed, the, the deadline in for bids, someone comes <coughs> in and says, I'll pay you 10 billion, they go, sorry, lads, you missed the deadline. You know, so those are arbitrary numbers. They, 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 and so what it tells me is that um, there's nothing close to being accepted. Now, Jim Ratcliffe, you know, he's come out and made his interest known. I don't, I would be surprised if it ends up in Jim Ratcliffe's hands. And if it ends up in Jim Ratcliffe's hands, that's because, you know, the Middle Eastern buyers just aren't willing to, to match the Glazers' price. Here, here's the thing about Liverpool and United. Whoever buys Liverpool and United are going to have to do something that the current owners can't, and that's compete with Man City and Newcastle. If Liverpool get bought by a Middle Eastern state, United can't get bought by an investment company because they defend each other. So whatever Liverpool can do in the transfer market, United have to be able to do the same and vice versa. If United get bought by some Middle Eastern deep state pocket, there's no point in Liverpool being bought by a consortium that are trying to squeeze every penny out of Liverpool. They need to be bought by somebody with deep pockets because both Liverpool and United have now conceded that they cannot be a commercial success whilst not being able to match City and Newcastle spending. Right? I mean... Where United are at, it was always destined to end like this. The football club cannot survive another six months <coughs> without having serious money put into it. I mean, there's no budget for this summer to invest. But what I would caution is this. <clears throat> when I look at Chelsea, I want no part of that type of ownership. What if someone comes in, buys United, takes recruitment control out of Ten Hag's hands and does with Todd Bowling and goes around bidding for every arsehole across Europe Right, who doesn't know what he's doing, offering eight-year contracts to players because this is what they do in the US. Because of the initial outlay, they, they want to protect investment, and they want to amortize. So I'm going, it's really, really, really important that whoever buys United isn't just someone with deep pockets, but is someone that respects the culture and the values of the football club and doesn't get in Ten Hag's way because it could easily go wrong. So when I look at um, United have obviously got offers, they've obviously got people that are interested, but at the price the Glazers are looking at, here, here, here's the, the other concern. The Glazers are desperate sellers. Anyone with basic financial knowledge would know that United are almost borderline insolvent. Um, you know, they're a billion in debt. Like, you, you, you can't, the debt can't keep increasing. The, the infrastructure is rotten around them. So when I look at something like that and I'm a potential buyer, why would you buy United now and not in six months when obviously the price will come down? I would be amazed if Manchester United are still owned by the Glazers by the summer. Be amazed if that's the case. If they don't want that to be the case because the football club is no longer in a position where it can pay dividends and also it's no longer in a position where it can fund its basic responsibilities. Is there not a financial gain to the Glazers if, for example, we qualify for the Champions League, if, for example, we win the league, is there not some sort of financial gain for them to stay in until the end? No, because the returns on that are so small. United need hundreds of millions, right? I mean, you could probably, you know, survive for another year, you know, if you win the league and you win... But 
this is not, you know, they have to also countenance the fact that Ten Hag's not going to stick around there by getting, you know, cup price players, and it's not sustainable success. You know, so for United, for the Glazers, you know, the, the football club is at a point where there's nothing more to take out of it. So this is what they'd be trying to get investment for a couple of years, as I've said before. So they are at a position where they have to put money in, and that's not in the business model. United cannot cannot function as a football club, and and meet its obligations in this manner. You said you'd be surprised if Ratcliffe took over. Why do you? Why would you be surprised? And do you think potentially? Because I've seen some comments about this that he could be the front for a Dubai-led consortium. Yeah, I don't know anything about uh, it could be the front for Dubai-led consortium. I really don't know, but I don't know why he would do that. Um, mm. You know, there's lots of rumours that um, the money behind Todd Bowley is Saudi money. Um, and he was used as a front. Obviously, there's question marks about who can own teams within, in the same league, you know, in the same competition. So... Maybe there's an incentive to put somebody forward that um, has the illusion of being an owner, but is actually backed by people that have multiple ownership interests in multiple clubs. Um, <clears throat> I, I also have question marks about a regulator. Oftentimes, government governments put agencies, they, they start agencies to give the illusion of oversight because people want this. They're not really interested in oversight, but they want to give the illusion that they are. I mean, you see this in the States all the time. It's the EPA was set up by Richard Nixon to give people the illusion they cared about the environment, right? And that they were doing environmental protection, you know, policies and what have you, implementing them, but was really a, a, an impotent um, organisation. So a lot of times governments set these things up to give the illusion of oversight. The fact of the matter is, I don't see a Tory government turning down you know, a takeover, if you look at PSG, PSG were taken over by Qataris, not just to take over PSG, but also to boost the French economy, to boost relationships between Sarkozy and uh, and the Qataris, and, and, you know, obviously it's extended to the World Cup, and, and the French getting these airplanes off the Qataris. If someone goes to the Tory government, I guarantee your rules would be bent to allow them to take over a football club with the intention of other deals on the table and this happens all the time so i don't have any confidence that a regulator will protect united uh from from a a takeover that's not it's not optimal but uh a reason why i don't think it'll be jim ratcliffe is because the interest that's in united right now i think is financially a bit beyond his reach is so well. He's worth twelve billion. So I don't think it's beyond his reach. Is no, that the right? I, I haven't heard he's worth twelve billion. I heard he's worth half that. But even but but here's the thing about that wealth. It's paper wealth. It's not material wealth, right? So you know, it's difficult to turn that into something fungible. You know, is it? You ask Elon Musk. You know, his wealth fluctuates every single day based on the yeah. stock market. So, you know, when you start trying to sell shares and companies... $12.4 billion it is, sorry. So, yeah. Well, I, I don't know what that's based on. Seven or eight billion. So, but 
the, so to be fair, do you think? Million, so about seven yeah. million pounds. But so, is he going to turn around, liquidate every asset he has, the own Manchester United, when he already thinks it's massively overpriced, which it is? I just don't think smart businessmen act that way. I mean, but if the, you're going to buy United at five billion, you, you you've got five billion to lose. Do you think that because there's not a bidding war as such, it's because these businessmen and billionaires know that the Glazers have to sell and that there's no need for a bidding war as such so they can wait and dry out every last penny that no, they need to out of the Glazers? The Rain Group will, in, in, will, will be instigating bidding wars, but you're trying to <clears throat> you're trying to scale this between two different um, needs. One, how desperate the Glazers, and two... You know, uh, how many other interested parties have you got? So you're trying to get, you know, uh, uh, trying to scale that properly. You know, how uh, do we continue to up the uh, continue to go above and beyond what it's worth because there's other potential buyers? You know, it's a game of poker. Or do we feel confident we're the only potential buyers, um, uh, and we wait this out a little bit until the users have to bring their price down? Um, my guess it'll be somewhere in the middle. So there'll be a desire for someone to buy that football club above somebody else that will push the price up, but not exorbitantly so. It's interesting because I don't know as much about this whole takeover process as what you know, but you have said for a while that you think Ratcliffe, in your opinion, would be your number one that you would want to take over. So going into this, me and you have both said on numerous occasions the grass isn't always greener. We could get a an owner that's just as bad, if not worse, than the Glazers. But do you think by this time at the end of the season, so before the season ends, we'll definitely have a new owner? I'd be very surprised <laughs> if that wasn't the case. Um, but is this I mean, not a long drawn out process whenever it's a massive financial thing like buying nah, Manchester really. I mean you could do that deal in a couple of months I mean there's bigger deals look if you're going to invest for the potential of return on that investment you don't invest in football clubs so this is why it will have almost certainly be a vanity project for someone you know uh, experienced business people that know how to invest money don't invest in football clubs the return is terrible the risk is, is terrible uh, and this is of course one of the reasons why New owners want to take relegation out of the equation to, to lower risk, not because it adds anything to the to to the spectacle, but to, to take away risk from for, for investors. So, um, and the reason why I wanted to jump Radcliffe is partly what I was saying about top bowling is that I don't want somebody coming in, because when you get a vanity project, that usually doesn't end the moment you get the keys to the club. That usually extends to who I want to bring in, you know, my own people, you know, my own players. You know, this is usually what it's about. And then you get some arsehole prancing across Europe, like Todd Bowling, you know, thinking he's, you know, uh, what's that, Jerry, uh, what's that arsehole? Um, show me the money. Who are you talking about? Show me the money, what's that guy? Uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. You're t- stop watching porn, watch up now for a while. Anyway, um, do they have some arsehole prancing across Europe? Um, trying to buy players that he knows nothing about. I mean, do you think these are Graham Potter's players? I think they're not. You know, and as I said before, Graham Potter, the, the wrong choice wasn't Chelsea choosing Graham Potter, it was Graham Potter choosing Chelsea. 
and the football club is unmanageable because you have no control of recruitment. So there's no, you know, accountability in that football club. United had to act like a football club because they had no other option. They were, they were, you know, by compulsion because they had, you know, maxed out the credit card. And Jerry now Maguire. that you have Jerry Maguire, oh, I asked him talking about Jerry Maguire. <coughs> and he said, nearly said hi, Maguire. Um, right. But uh, and <laughs> uh, the old rule applies. I'm not sure old brain. Um, <laughs> but um, I look at that and I think to myself, you know, that's why I want to see a Tim Ratcliffe at the football club because I think that um, whatever happens, I don't want to see United do what Chelsea do. I mean, I, I. I as I said before, signings bring pleasure, not happiness. Happiness comes from winning, and a, and a, and a, a football club you can be proud of. I mean, I, I don't want to see that. You know. What What's your realistic, or what do you think realistically, United will be at at the end of the season in terms of where we'll finish, and trophy wise? United will be in the top three. Um, I definitely can see them winning a trophy, uh, and I think that that would be an extremely successful season. The question for United isn't now, it's what they do next. And this has always been the difficult part for the football club. And that is a massive question because United have been second before. And it's what they did after that that's what cost them. I don't maybe, think maybe. they're in a position to fuck it up as bad simply because they just don't have the resources to do it. So now they have to sign players for the right reasons. Um, so I think they'll finish in the top three possibly second um, anything beyond that is unbelievable but look I want to say a couple of things about Ten Hag because there was the stuff said about Ten Hag at the start of the season and I've said this before if this was said about a woman um, we'd rightfully be livid they criticised his accent his body language his language itself his charisma whatever the fuck that means I mean what is he is he on Tinder no <laughs> I mean what, what does that even mean Right, and I'll tell you, there's a lot of journalists deleting stuff quicker than Hillary Clinton. They turned around six months ago, right? That were that lauded Spurs for not hiring him, you know, and you know, accentuated all the negatives about this man, about his clothes, everything, right? They don't have the humility to admit they were wrong, right? I tweeted something last week about myself. Self-deprecating about saying Yamavia wanted Yamavia over Robin Van Persie. Your own words. The worst thing about Twitter is it illustrates we're all hypocrites, right? We're, and and it illustrates our own hypocrisy and everything else. And and you're we're wrong a lot. That's just part of life. But admit that, own it, rather than yeah, but. And it speaks to the arrogance of so many people that are paid to cover this game, who are talking through the rush. I think me and you should be paid to cover this game, mate. Hundred percent. Any any potential investors out there, let's take over beyond the pitch. Me and Phil need a full time gig doing this. I've said the same about love making. <coughs> <laughs> nah, but 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 that's serious. I'm going to the Palace game tomorrow night, so it's a massive game for us. I do I do genuinely believe we'll get the win, and I think in previous years, like I've said, I always went into these games very pessimistic. Now I'm optimistic. Ten Hag's turned things around. Drew drastically since the start of the season since he first came in even you know there's question marks like you said a lot of people doubted him he's he shut everyone up I mean it's a testament to the guy that he's now taking the reserve team as well tell that you tells something. you enough about him he's absolutely brilliant at setting traps 
You know, he starts yeah. with, he, he sits there at the start of the season and he says to McGuire, you're my starting centre-back and you're my captain. Didn't take it off him. Said, sure, to lose. Two games later, he's dropped. Cristiano Ronaldo, here's that captain's armband. Right? Two weeks later, he's doing an interview saying that, uh, you know, he's being betrayed and not treated fairly, which just ridicules, you know, Ten Hag set him up for failure. Or set him up so that he couldn't criticise the football club and criticise Ten Hag. Same way, Harry Maguire, big player, England clap, captain, England player, could be releasing all types of information, um, leaking all kinds of information. It's really hard to do that when you were given the shirt to lose. Uh, and both Maguire and Ronaldo have lost any potential. I mean, I don't think Maguire, to be fair, was going to do what Ronaldo did, but Ronaldo easily lost that fight. So I think he is just an absolutely brilliant tactician, a brilliant coach, but also a brilliant manager. And uh, as I said before, it's completely performed in action as a women's football club. Roll on the weekend, mate. Roll on the weekend, and uh, we will be back again next week. I uh, may do a podcast later on the week with John Ludden, so we'll see. Uh, Calm, all the best, mate. Thanks to all of you for tuning you in for all, the, for all the downloads. Much appreciated. Hope you're all well, and uh, take it easy. Speak to you soon, bro. See you, mate.